Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Truly, we thank the Lord for this opportunity to, oh, let me turn the volume off. Sorry about that. <laughs> Having major difficulties te technology-wise this morning, but First Lady's gone into prayer, and it seems like everything's coming back. So we thank the Lord for that. Hallelujah. I, I appreciate those of you that have uh, kind of stayed on, staring at a blank screen, seeing the picture come and go. We uh, celebrate you and thank the Lord for you. Um, we're just excited about what God is doing. The enemy's fighting us every chance he gets. But we believe that if we press on, God will continue to work wonderful things in and through us. So we salute you today, and we thank the Lord for you, and we're just excited again for the Word of God. We want to say hello to our sister church in uh, Kenya, uh, Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center, Kenya, Pastor Bernard Majero. Uh, we thank the Lord for him and the saints there. Hallelujah. They were just recently out ministering and, and worshiping the Lord in another part of Kenya and were praying for the Lord's deliverance and protection as they travel to and fro. We're believing that God is going to do great and mighty things through them. Miracle signs and wonders are happening in that land and we're just so excited to be a, a part of what God is doing as we are endeavoring to spread the word of truth across this world. I'm excited about those that are in the studio audience. We thank the Lord for uh, each and every one of you. And again, to all of our uh, friends here uh, in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, those that have joined us from varying parts of the world, of the United States, of the state of Ohio, of the city of Columbus, we salute you. Uh, we're just, you know, definitely just excited about what God is doing. Again, I just want to, just by way of quick announcement, I know that we're getting late into our normal broadcast hour, but I want to uh, encourage you to be looking out over the next few weeks. We start uh, recording tomorrow here in the studio for Coffee with the Bishop. And we have several guests that are going to be coming in and being a part of what God is doing. We're going to have comprehensive conversations about about Christ and about the state of the church and uh, the things that are going on in the world. We're going to be talking about many different things, but everything will always be related to Christ. It's not a gossip session, hallelujah. So tune in to find out what's going on and hear and see the perspectives of God's ministry here in the earth. And uh, so we invite you and encourage you to be looking for that. Recording production starts tomorrow. We are so excited about that. Hallelujah. God is opening doors, and we've already had several guests uh, commit, and uh, the first guest will be here uh, this uh, coming Monday, tomorrow, and that's none other than our presiding bishop, and that's Bishop Edward E. Chow Sr. And then on Thursday, we have the Honorable Bishop uh, jo Joel um, uh, Sanders coming, and he'll be sitting down and speaking with us. Hallelujah. And we're just excited about that conversation. If you don't know him or if you never heard, uh, heard of him, I encourage you, 
Look him up on Facebook. Look, search him out. He is a dynamic man of God with an anointing and a great gift. And I know that he could speak into your life. And we're looking forward to the conversation that we will have uh, here in the studio. Uh, so we're just excited about those first two guests that will be uh, in the first broadcast. And there are many other guests that have committed some far. So we'll do some type of Zoom uh, conference and, and put that out as well. Uh, be a little bit difficult to drink coffee. They'll have to make their own cup of coffee that day. Hallelujah. But we thank the Lord. I want to uh, get to the word of God and I want to share with you what God is doing and what God has uh, been revealing to me about the, the break in uh, the ability to kind of see uh, the power of God being manifested in us. I, I've come to realize in studying the word of God, in prayer, and in conversation with God, that many of us have been asking the question or wondering, where is the power? Where are the signs, the miracles, and the wonders? Where uh, are all the things that God had promised that he would do in and through us? It seems like in America, at least, in many places, um, that this is the cry of most of the uh, of many of the body of Christ, and God has shown me something that's key, and, and I would argue that this may be the actual key to it all. And if we can get this uh, into our thinking, if we can allow this to permeate our minds in such a degree that this becomes our reality you'll begin to see God work in and through you in ways that you've never even imagined. He will blow your mind with the things that he will do in and through you. The problem is, is that we've been lied to and the enemy has concealed this very key, but I'm going to reveal it to you today, a key that can change your life. And I truly believe that this is the key to it all. One of the issues that we have with scripture and you know many people would say that there are several issues with with scripture but uh, one of the issues that we have with scripture that you know we may uh, all pretty much agree on is that there are a lot of translations in print and some translations take stuff out and some translations add things into the scripture and some even change what's been said so that it can fit any given agenda uh, especially the the most prominent agenda in our current society today and in more than 20 translations of the New Testament, I want you to understand that you're going to see, if you really pay close attention, a difference in the way the word spirit is written. And I want to hone in on this today, on these differences. You see, in some translations, the word is capitalized in certain instances. And in other uh, instances, it's not. In other translations, it's not. Let me give you an example. The translators of the King James Version capitalized the word spirit in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter and the second verse, where it says, the law of the spirit, and spirit is capitalized there. In verse four of the eighth chapter of, of King James, uh, it says that uh, uh, who walk after the spirit, and spirit is again capitalized. And if you look again into verse five in the King James Version, you'll find that spirit is capitalized yet again where it states they that are after the spirit now this will lead people to wonder what the reasoning would be 
because of the conflict in why that same text in another translation may not be uh, capitalized. It may just be a lowercase s. And we, we've been taught to, to recognize the capital as being connected to God and the lowercase as being connected to something other than God, whether it's the human spirit or some uh, other type of spirit. But it, it can be difficult for any translator to decide whether the word spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit or the human spirit in passages such as the ones that I just read to you. Now, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that our spirit, praise the Lord, is mingled together with the Holy Spirit. That means we're mixed together. Hallelujah. And since our spirit has been mingled together with the Holy Spirit, these two spirits are braided together as one spirit as we see declared in God's word in the first book of Corinthians, the sixth chapter and the 17th verse. Now, because of this, this one mingling together of two spirits, it can be difficult and uh, people can assert that this spirit is the human spirit, but another may say that this spirit is the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of where you see the difference in uh, the, the translations that um, are out there right now. But what I always tell people what I always share in our Bible study is a key word, and that key word is context. You have to take everything in context so that you can understand what any given scripture is saying. Now, of course, the context of some passages makes it clear that the reference is to the Holy Spirit. But in other passages, the reference is to the human spirit. And that's why you see this in the King James Version. But we must always read God's word in context to what it is saying. So if Christ is in you, the body is considered what? Dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the context of this verse, Romans 8 and 10, would clearly indicate that here the spirit being referenced is not the Holy Spirit because it's being compared with the body. Now we cannot compare ever the Holy Spirit with our human body. It's our human spirit that the apostle is talking about uh, in this text is what the apostle is comparing uh, between that spirit and the human body. So what is the meaning of this verse? Well, I'm glad the uh, studio audience has posed this question to me. So thank you very much for joining in. Originally, our body was dead because of sin. Now Christ is in us, and uh, though our sinful body is still dead because of sin, our human spirit is alive and full of life because of the righteousness of Christ in us. So the spirit that's being mentioned in this verse is not the Holy Spirit, but it's the human spirit. And this spirit is being compared with the human body. So you can see the contrast between what spirit is being talked about and what uh, reference is being connected to, whether it's the human body or, or the spirit of God. Now, in another verse, Romans, the eighth chapter and the 11th verse, it's obvious that the reference that's being made here is to the spirit of God rather than the human spirit. 
Because what follows the phrase, the spirit of the one, defines whose spirit it is. So it says, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So verse 10 tells us that though Christ is in us, our body is still dead because of sin. But then verse 11 declares that our weak mortal bodies due to the indwelling of Christ will also be enlivened or revived and made strong because Christ is living in us. So even our mortal bodies, which are dead because of sin, could be enlivened and revived by the divine spirit of God who is dwelling within our spirit. So the indwelling spirit makes us alive not only in our spirit, but eventually also in our body because the indwelling spirit is, after all, the spirit of life himself. God is life. Jesus is life. Now, here's the key. The human spirit is the key that I want you to focus on. Now, you may be wondering why I'm emphasizing the difference between the Holy Spirit and uh, the human spirit and kind of how it's being compared and contrast in scripture. But it's because our greatest problem is that we do not know the indwelling spirit or realize that the human spirit is the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Neither do we realize or know that these two spirits are being mingled together and because they are mingled together they are one spirit now it's really the mark of the way God does things and many believers are missing this mark it's like a house that's inaccessible why because the key has been missing we've misplaced the key so unless we're going to break into the house we can't get into the house only the key gives us opportunity to enter the house. We can only open the house with the key and legally enter in, and because we are there, legally enjoy everything that's in it. Now, for centuries, the enemy has concealed this key from us. So what is the key? It's that our human spirit is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and that our human spirit is not just the dwelling place, but it is one with the Holy Spirit. So the word of God is living and it's sharp, even sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit. And for over 10 years, I've tried to understand why this word was written and why it was written in the book of Hebrews. It's written in the fourth chapter of Hebrews. I, I was struggling with understanding its placement, its relevance there. And the Lord has showed me something wonderful. He's revealed to me the reason that I was seeking. The book of Hebrews is encouraging us to press on from the wilderness into the land of promise. 
from the wandering stage of life in the wilderness to the resting stage of life that's only found in Jesus Christ. Now, at the time that the Hebrew Christians were in danger of drifting away from Christ, they were in danger of going back into Judaism. And this is like returning to the land of Egypt, the place of bondage. You see, they had been delivered out of Judaism, and they intended to enter into the land of rest that had been promised, but they were wandering midway between Judaism and Christ. I see this often today. Many in the body of Christ are wandering between Christ and the world. You see this so readily uh, in things that are being done in the world under the guise of the church. You're, you think you're going to a church event and you end up at a party. But it's a party unlike the parties that we should have in church. And, and really this is a shame because we're missing what God has called us to do. Now, the epistle to the Hebrews was written to encourage the people of God to press beyond the wandering stage by taking Christ as their all-inclusive life and rest. Now, I want you to understand something. Let me just sidebar here for a moment. The idea is that the Hebrews who were struggling or in this wandering place would realize that Christ was everything that they needed. Christ was all-inclusive. It was like the, you know, the all-inclusive uh, resort trips that so many people take. You never have to leave the resort because everything you need is right there on the resort. From safety to a wonderful experience, everything, food, uh, you know, fun, rest, everything is right there. You never even have to leave the resort to enjoy your vacation. Well, saints, I'm here to tell you that there is nothing more all-inclusive than the knowledge that Christ dwells in you because everything that you could ever need, everything that you could ever desire, everything that you could ever want can only be found and satisfied in Jesus Christ. You may find stuff in the world. You may find stuff out there that, that satisfies you for a moment. But the only lasting uh, satisfying thing is Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you a quick story. I heard this story the other day. You know, it's kind of the grass is always greener or you think it's always greener in somebody else's yard. And I hope I don't mess this story up, but I, I want to share this story with you. There was this cow and it was standing in a field. And as it's standing in the field, its grass in that field is pretty high. Plenty of grass to eat. And this cow, this male cow, has six female cows with him. So this male cow only has two things to do. Eat the grass. <laughs> And we'll just leave the rest because it may be R-rated. But this cow is focused on a fence that separated his field from another field. And over in that other field, he saw some other cows. And so he, he really wanted to go see about this other field. He wasn't paying attention to what he had in his own field. He could care less about the six 
female cows that was with them and all the luscious grass that there was to eat he was focused on what he thought he was missing so he for days toiled and toiled of how he could get over this fence into this other field and finally he builds up enough strength and as he's charging at the fence there's barbed wire on the top of the fence this cow leaps to try to jump over the fence and he cuts the lower part of his body on the barbed wire enable, or uh, disabling his ability to get back because now he's injured but he made it over the fence and he goes running up looking back he sees the luscious field that he left the six female cows that he left and he goes running up to the cows that he thought he was missing out on and he found out those cows were just like him they were male cows you see this is the problem that we have in the church we are so focused on what we think we're missing and not focus on the very things that we already possess. And this is why the enemy gets the better of us because we, we, we can't do what God has called us to do with the things that we have because we ignore what we have while focusing on what we think we're missing out on. And then we even try to intertwine the two, pull them together. Hallelujah. There's a joke at GMFC. We don't do line dances in our ministry. We just don't do that because that's something of the world. And we're holy. And because we're holy, we are set apart. That means we're supposed to be different, look different, think different. We're not supposed to behave like the world behaves. Amen. We're supposed to be opposite of what the world behaves. We, we talk about Jesus being in the midst of sinners, and he was. But he didn't act like the sinners he was in the midst of. He loved them, but he didn't act like them. Amen. They saw and knew and understood him to be completely different than they were. And they would come to him and he would feed them with the word of God, with the bread of life, not by drawing them, by acting like them, but by showing them something they'd never seen before. Amen. I'm sorry, that's the sidebar. Let me get back to where we're going. Hebrews talks about, and, and, and you'll see how this is connected, but Hebrews talks about, it, it references the holy of holies. And this is what this, this, this is the key. This is the, the portion of the key that the enemy has been hiding from us. And many of us don't really realize this. And, and, and to be quite honest, I know that some of you today will reject the very thing that I'm telling you. But Hebrews references the Holy of Holies. And for many years, I could not uh, understand what the Holy of Holies was. I mean, I, I understood it to be in the temple and I understood, um, you know, that it was where God dwelled and you know, the Ark of the Covenant and all those different things and what the priest did. But eventually, I was helped by the Lord to realize that the Holy of Holies is, in a sense, your very spirit. Well. 
You see, your human spirit is now the holy of holies. Now, I know people are thinking in their head, blasphemy. So what does this mean? And let me explain it to you. It means that we are not just behind the veil like the high priest was one day a year, but the very place itself, the holy of holies, is inside of us. Amen. You see, the three parts of the temple correspond to the three parts of uh, a man body soul and spirit and the innermost part of the temple the holy of holy indicates the innermost part of our being which is our human spirit so just as the ark which was a type of christ follow me was in the holy of holies so is the ark which is christ in our spirit today our human spirit therefore becomes the holy of holies where we can contact god if we cannot discern our spirit we cannot locate the holy of holies and many of us are frustrated because we we act like we are trying to get in touch with God and, and God doesn't hear us and what we're missing is it's not that God doesn't hear us we keep looking for God everywhere God is not well, you see we have to be very clear today this is, I understand why the enemy is fighting me so hard, but we have to be very clear today that the triune God has completed everything, the creation, the incarnation, and the life and, and suffering uh, here on the earth in the body of Jesus. He's gone into death. He's passed through death. He's conquered death. He has resurrected himself. He was ascended into heaven and has been enthroned in the right seat next to God. Everything has been attacked by the wonderful triunity of God. And all of these realities, guess what? Are in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come into us and we are mingled together with everything that has been done. We are mingled together with the resurrection. We are mingled together with the ascension. We are mingled together with God. We are mingled together with the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth. Everything that God is, it is in us who believe. So the point then is that this Holy Spirit has been dispensed, poured out into our spirit. Amen. So our spirit now is the residence of God. The Bible says, know ye not that your body is the temple? Well, where does God dwell? God dwells in the temple. Amen. Our spirit is the organ to receive God and to contain all of God. If we are going to contact the Holy Spirit, we must first know our spirit. You see, if anyone wants to contact me, you got to know where I live. You got to know what my phone number is. You got to know what my email address is. Or at least you got to know where and when I am going to be anywhere if you want to contact me. Lacking those things, you cannot contact me if you cannot get to me. 
Now, Hebrews 4 and 12 was written to encourage us to press on into the holy of holies, which is our spirit. So if we do not know how to discern our spirit, we cannot ever locate the holy of holies. And if you can't locate the holy of holies, God will always seem distant from you because the holy of holies is the place where the Lord dwells. You see, the way God does things is to pour himself out into us. And the very place where he pours himself out into us is our spirit. And when we're able to discern our spirit, to know our spirit, to exercise our spirit, to contact God, we can then be permeated and saturated with the Lord and be transformed into the very image of Christ himself. But the enemy's been distracting us. He's been throwing up distractions since the beginning of humanity. Let me, let me share with you a distraction that maybe right off doesn't seem like it's too bad. You might even call this the distraction of being good. You see, the enemy tries to frustrate us from discerning our spirit. So soon after many of us were saved, the enemy comes by and he begins to frustrate our thinking by helping us make decisions to do good. No one is exempt from this subtle suggestion. Even this uh, morning, some people have probably prayed, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to please you. I want to try my best to do the things that satisfy you. Now, this sounds like it's a good prayer, but it is not a prayer from the Lord. It actually comes from our enemy's influence. Remember what I told you, the devil is the great influencer. And whenever we have these good intentions, we must jump up and tell Satan to get away from us. You see, in my Christian dictionary, there's no such uh, words as evil, nor is there such a word as good. From the beginning to the end, my Christian dictionary contains only one word, Christ. You see, I don't understand good nor evil. I don't want to help to do good. I, I only want Christ. Christ is all that I want. And this is when uh, you can uh, understand the, the words of Christ where he declares, abide in me and I in you. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. John 15, four through five. So here there's nothing, watch this, of self Effort. It's all about focusing on the abiding in Christ. It has nothing to do with what you do, good, bad, or ugly. It's only focused on Jesus. There's no self-effort. Only abiding in the, uh, in, the, in the presence of the indwelling spirit of God. Only him to abide in us. Then all the richness of Christ will be wrought out through us. You see, fruit bearing is simply the outworking of the indwelling. So what we should say is, I do not know anything except this, 
I am a branch and Jesus is the vine. I have to abide in him and let him abide in me. And when we have this mentality, spontaneously you will begin to bear fruit like you've never seen before. You see, this is the missing key. This is the missing element. This is what's been hidden from us. Us trying to do good is a temptation and a great distraction from experiencing the fullness of Jesus working through us. Let me give you another uh, distraction, doctrine. And I know the, the saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But I have found that doctrines form another device that's used by the enemy to distract us from seeking Jesus. You see, through the centuries, doctrines such as uh, eternal security, dispensation, predestination, absolute grace, uh, resurrection, uh, tribulation, pre, post, mid, all these things have been uh, used by the enemy to distract the believer from the living Christ that is in them. Now, I knew some Christians who were so familiar with the Bible that some of them you could even call a living concordance because if you couldn't find a certain portion in the scriptures, you could just call one of these believers and they could tell you immediately the book, the chapter, and the verse. And some of them are so versed in it that they could even tell you multiple translations. But I can testify that they knew very little about actually contacting Christ as their life. You see, to possess the knowledge of the scripture is one thing, but to know, to have experience with the living one revealed by the scripture you declare you know is quite another. Christ must be contacted through the scripture, but it is regrettable that so many believers have the scripture only in their hand and in their heart and in their memory with very little Jesus in their spirit. Amen. You see, the Mosaic law was uh, used to bring people to Christ and keep them for Christ. It was to help people to know Christ. But many merely kept the law and they ignored the reason behind it. See, doing this causes the law to be misused. And this problem still persists today. The same principle applies to all the teaching and doctrines of Scripture. Doctrines are the means to experience Christ. But Christians use doctrines and knowledge to replace Jesus. And this is sad. But the enemy is not uh, satisfied with just trying to cause you to put your, your focus on self to do good works and uh, on, on you know, what doctrine you might believe. But he even wants to go after gifts. You see, another thing which the enemy utilizes is the matter of spiritual gifting. 
Now, a proper understanding of, of the gift is necessary in order to see how they are related to the way that God actually does things. This applies to all gifts. Now, many gifted people give too much attention to the gift that they possess. And, and more or less, they neglect the indwelling Christ who is the author and the finisher of the gift in the first place. The indwelling Christ is actually the mark of the way God God does things and all the gifts that we have are to point to this purpose you see many people know how to speak in tongues many people have healing gifts but they do not know how to discern the spirit and contact Jesus although I'm not speaking against any gift I am against one thing and that's paying full attention to the gifts and ignoring the discernment of the spirit in order to contact Jesus. This is definitely wrong. Some of us are so consumed by our anointing. The book of Romans allots very little ground to gifts at all. Now, Romans is a general sketch of what the, the believer's life and walk should be. And uh, this sketch uh, doesn't really reference uh, gifting very much. Uh, matter of fact, of the 16 chapters, only the 12th chapter speaks anything about gifts. And if the whole 12th chapter is read, you will, you, you will come to the understanding that not only the gift of prophecy is mentioned, but even the gift of showing mercy and of giving material things are listed, verses 5 through 8. Now, the, the gifts mentioned here result from the living Christ that was experienced as grace in the life of each believer. So not all Christians have the gift of prophecy it's just one of many gifts and although we are not trying to oppose any gifts we must give proper proportion to every gift otherwise we will be unbalanced now gifts are also mentioned in 1 Corinthians the 12th and the 14th chapters and the Corinthian believers had all the gifts they did not lack in any of them verse 1 or, or 1 Corinthians 1 and 7 yet even though the Corinthians had all the gifts their spiritual condition was described weirdly they were full of the gifts that means they're laying on hands, they're, they're, they're experiencing uh, God working through them, they're, they're testifying, they're prophesying, they're speaking in uh, other tongues, but the spiritual condition of the Corinthian believer was described as fleshly and immature. So we may have the gifts, yet remain childish and fleshly. There's no doubt that we can receive help from these gifts, but we need to learn something more. Signs and wisdom are gifts, but the apostle preached Christ crucified and Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, you ought to put this in the quote section. It's time to grow up. 
The apostles' only intention was to minister Jesus as the power and the wisdom, not the manifestation of the gifts and the signs and the wonders. You see, the gifts are a help, but they are not the goal or the mark. The mark is the indwelling of Jesus. The gift should only help us to realize what is present in us. The gift is a road sign that Jesus is there. I don't know about you, but when I travel, I don't travel. My goal is to get to my destination, not to get to the road sign. Now, 1 Corinthians, the, the 12th, mentions these spiritual gifts, including speaking in tongues. But at the end of the chapter, notice what Paul mentions. He says something very striking. He says, or he uses these words, the more excellent way. Now, the Greek text expresses it, uh, it really in a, in a much stronger fashion. It says a most excellent way. So what is the most excellent way? Well, chapter 13 is the continuation of the verse. And if we speak like sounding brass is what it talks about, we hear only a sound, but we do not see the life. We, love is the expression of life. So this proves that tongues, strictly speaking, are not a matter of life. To speak in tongues without considering the life is to become sounding brass. Many people who speak frequently in tongues are very shallow and very immature in their believer's journey. Now I know I'm stepping on some toes but I'm trying, to un I'm trying to uncover something. I'm trying to reveal something to you. I'm trying to show you something that the enemy's been blocking from your mind. You've been so perplexed by your gift that you've missed the giver of the gift. In chapter 14, the apostle encourages us rather to exercise what? Our spirit for the spiritual profit of the church. This is the conclusion of the whole chapter. Even though Paul exceeded uh, others in the speaking of tongues, he would rather speak five intelligible words in a meeting than 10,000 words in tongues. Check the text, 13, 18, and 19. The apostle in these chapters manifests somewhat of a negative attitude towards speaking in tongues. And rather than encouraging the practicing of the gifts, he corrects the Corinthians with some instruction. So we have to conclude that all the gifts are for the experience of Jesus and must be used in proper proportion to our indwelling understanding of what's indwelling. So the key to the way God does things is Christ as everything brought to our spirit through the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we need to, to uh, you know, uh, listen or to, to heed certain teachings and uh, heed certain gifts to help us to realize what's there. But we must not allow the doctrine, the teaching, the gift to replace what is there? The mark is neither the teaching nor the gift, but the mark is Jesus. Who is the living spirit indwelling in our spirit? It's Jesus. 
Now, with some, a gift may be needed to help them to realize that Jesus is present, but not all of us need the same thing. I hear people all the time telling me or asking me, what is the gift? What is my anointing? What is something that, you know, I'm going to be able to do or to have? Hey, I, I lay hands on people. They don't get better. I, I try to speak in tongues. It just comes out in English. I, I, I try to understand what they're saying in tongues. It, it sounds like gibberish. I, I, don't, I, I don't know nothing about tomorrow I can't even remember yesterday what is it that I'm supposed to do what's the gifting on my life and I, I, I've looked at people and I've wondered and I've talked to God and God told me to tell you some people don't need a gift well. you've already recognized what the gift points to and that's the presence of Jesus in your life you see not all need the same gift no some may need the gift of prophecy. Others may need the gift of speaking in tongues. Some may need the gift of healing. And others need certain doctrines. Many people are drawn to Jesus through certain teachings. But let me be crystal clear. The indwelling presence of Jesus in our spirit is the key to the way God does things. So we have to give our full attention to the key because only the key opens the door. Actually, there's no need to give special attention to any kind of teaching or gifting if the indwelling Christ is already realized in your spirit. You see... The old servant of Abraham was sent with a number of gifts so that he could obtain a wife for Isaac. And all of these gifts did one thing. They helped Rebecca realize that she needed to go meet this Isaac character. You see, this is the true place of gifts. After Rebecca received the gift, she seemed to forget all about them. And she says, I will go to Isaac. I will not be satisfied to remain here enjoying these gifts and forget about Isaac. I will go on to meet my bridegroom. You see, after Rebecca marries Isaac, there's no further mention of the gifts that Isaac gave or any new gifts. Now, men, I'm not telling you don't give your wife gifts. <laughs> don't, don't, if you choose to do that, don't say, well, uh, you know, Bishop Lysa said that uh, I don't have to give you a gift because I have you now and your gift is me. Oh, <laughs> that ain't what I'm preaching today. <laughs> I, I just want to point to you that Rebecca, I'm talking about Rebecca, didn't talk too much about gifts or at all about gifts after she met Isaac. And day by day, Rebecca just enjoyed living, experiencing the giver of the gifts, which was Isaac. You see, Christ is much better than speaking in tongues. Christ is much better than prophecy. Christ is much better than laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Christ is much better than these things. Amen. Amen. 
and with the key in my hand, I can open all the doors, and because I can open all the doors, I can enjoy everything that's in the house. But if I have no key, I must see a locksmith. But if I have a key, the services of the locksmith are not required. The real need is the key, not the locksmith. And just as the locksmith is no longer needed when I possess the key, so the gifts and the teachings and all this other stuff is not needed when I realize that I possess the indwelling presence of the triunity of the Godhead alive in me, in my spirit. I'm mingled together with the Holy One of Israel. Now, some people may require certain teachings and gifts in order to find the key, but praise the Lord, as long as the key is in our hand to realize Jesus, let us forget the teaching, let us forget the gifting, let's give our full attention to the discerning of the Spirit of God in us. You see, in order for us to obtain the key, God has proportioned certain gifts and teachings. And we can praise the Lord for his mercy, but we must be careful. We must not give so much attention to the locksmith that we go to the locksmith every day. Because as long as the key is obtained, we can thank the locksmith for his service, but leave him alone. We can use the key to come into the building and discover all the riches that are in Day by day, we need to learn to know this wonderful triunity of the Godhead alive in us. The unsearchable Jesus, the all-inclusive gift of God, the Holy Ghost who is now in our spirit. We have the key. You ought to put that down in the note section. I have the key. I have Jesus. Jesus is the key. Whatever we need of Jesus, we have by exercising our contact with him because this is how God does things and although the Lord grants us teaching and gifting he himself should always be the goal the complete and all inclusive one let us not settle with anything less than himself the aim of the way God does things is for all of Christ to indwell all of us and all during the day we have to seek to return into our spirit to discern our spirit so that we can contact God in everything then we have the key to the proper and normal Christian life then we can live in great success then we can enjoy the abundant life then we can experience the overflow then we can be in the presence of God if I'm the high priest and I've got the key to enter the holy of holies I'm never coming out the key to it all is recognizing that the holy of holies what's behind the veil is inside of you Everywhere you go. Why is the enemy afraid when you wake up in the morning? Because in you is Jesus. 
Why does the enemy throw everything he can at you? It's to distract you from recognizing that every solution, every met need is already in you. Working to the glory of God. Because I'm so focused on Jesus, I don't have to focus on trying to do good. Because I'm so focused on Jesus, good is just what I am. What are you saying? I'm saying God never told us to do anything. He said be. I can't be if I don't know who I am. I can't know who I am if I don't know that Jesus is alive in me. Because I am supposed to be dead. Jesus is supposed to be alive in me. And if Jesus is alive in me, and I am truly dead, I possess the key to all things in this life and in the life to come. You possess the key to it all. The indwelling presence and power and authority of God himself, of everything that is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, all of it dwells in you. God bless you. May heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace. Go terrify the devil today. Let him know what you've hidden from me. Has been, uh, has been revealed and I will no longer walk in ignorance yes. but I will only walk in the knowledge that the holy of holies is alive in me. God bless you people of God.